You know, our culture tells us that romance is supposed to play out like a beautiful movie scene. I mean, the sunset is gorgeous, and music is playing in the background, and yet when real life occurs uh, and your marriage seems kind of boring, you're not you know, attaining those romantic moments like you used to, you get kind of disappointed in where you're at as a couple. Well, I'm John Fuller in the studio with Erin Smalley and her husband, Dr. Greg Smalley, and they lead our marriage team here at Focus on the Family. And we're going to hear now an amazing testimony of Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. They were married to each other, they got divorced for a time, and then came back together again. Now, previously, they explained how Cheryl was having an affair, and Jeff didn't know about it. Here's more from that discussion with Jim Daly and me. And um, what I've heard both of you say is expectations. Um, Cheryl, your expectations of Jeff once you got in the relationship, and, and Jeff, your expectations about the move to Dallas... Did that exasperate things when you finally did move, or did that uh, calm things down? What what effect did it have on both of you? You know, at, after we moved to Dallas, I mean, we we actually moved into an apartment, and we were building a house. So I'm thinking we're building this house on a golf course. Cheryl grew up on a golf course; that was her family business. This would make her happy. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm thinking. And but I would come home every day from the office to the apartment and many times she's sitting on the couch crying. Mm. So I'm thinking there's something psychologically wrong. I'm thinking she needs counseling. Maybe she's depressed. You know, she left her job. She's she went from this big career to coming to Dallas and being a stay at home mom. You know, there with the you know, two babies and so I I'm thinking all those things. And then I'm also thinking, is she crazy? Do I is something wrong? Hmm. Should I feel safe leaving my daughter's home with her when I come home and see that she's just sitting there crying? I'm, I'm, those are the kind of things that are going through my mind. And you, at this point, you don't know the full story. I still don't know the full story. Let's move there. Well, how, how did that happen? How did that come out into the light? And how did you respond? Okay, I, I really didn't know the full story until after our divorce. Okay, so you've yeah, kept, she, you kept that and you moved years. ahead with the divorce. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, going talking about expectations, uh, John, I I watched soap operas growing up. And that is really probably where I got my idea of what I thought marriage was supposed to be like. So I'm expecting all these things. And I think, you know, now as I counsel women, I see women that expect so much that are, are really expectations you can't even meet in a relationship. And so that's that was one thing. And then coming to Dallas for me was a refreshment. I literally thought I could run away from that. It wasn't who I was. I felt like I was two people living two different lives. I, I was excited about being a stay-at-home mom. And so what he was seeing, <clears throat> I didn't even know he was thinking I was crazy or, or thinking that I was depressed. You know, I was excited about what was going on, but I didn't know what to do with this dilemma. Right. And so I started to miss that relationship. So I, we started to talk on the phone again. Um, we, like with I said, we man. didn't have texting and Facebook and things to communicate that way. And so I was afraid, again, to say anything to Jeff. I wanted to. I almost did a dozen times because mm. I wanted him to just know the truth so that we could move on and and get our marriage back on well, track. Well, that guilt had to be so heavy Oh, for it was you. just terrible. It w- was terrible. What happened? I mean, again, you're moving toward divorce. Yeah. You made that decision. Uh, was it in part so you could cover that up and not have to deal with it? Did you get to that point where you said divorce would be easier than facing Jeff with the truth? Hmm. And no. Uh, divorce was the answer because I thought I was in love with somebody else. Okay. 
And so I went to an attorney behind Jeff's back. I filed papers. And then you can tell uh, that story about well, how— Well, yeah, at this point we had moved into our what we affectionately call the shrine to our marriage now, our, our McMansion. Uh, now we know that's not the important things of life. But anyhow, I was upstairs in our new house reading the girls a bedtime story, and the front doorbell is ringing. I'm going, well, I knew Cheryl was downstairs. I'm going, why isn't she answering the door? And so I grabbed one of the girls. I, I can't remember which one it was, and just headed downstairs, and it was the sheriff serving me with papers. And that's the first oh I knew. Mm-hmm. And that was the first yeah. you yeah. knew. Yeah. And I don't even know how wow. I kept I kept it together long enough to go back up the stairs, put whoever I had in my arms back down, put him to bed, and then I went downstairs and just kind of freaked out. Like, what in the world is going on here? And mm-hmm. that's, but what what's hmm. important about that is that that was a two year time frame. Right. And then we were divorced in August of '92. So well, let's let's talk now. You you do go through with the divorce. Where does God enter the picture? How mm-hmm. does God become more vital in your life? You recognize the need for Him. Is it through the divorce that you turn to God? Well, when we first moved to Dallas, uh, like many many people do and couples do, is we were in trouble, and so we were invited by a couple that we knew in Dallas, the only couple we knew to go to church. And so we started to go to church. And what was going on with me is my heart was being stirred. The Holy Spirit, you know, God was coming after me. I didn't understand what it was. All I knew is that every time I went to church, I cried through the sermons, I'd cry through the singing. Mm. And I was so curious and hungry for whatever this was, this, I, I couldn't put my finger on what was going on. So for me, God was really pursuing me. And, um, you know, you, I don't know, Jeff kept trying, right. uh, but I think for you spiritually. Uh, well, I mean, for me, it was, you know, just getting back to my roots and understanding mm-hmm. that I had walked away from my Lord and, and I love the Lord. And, and, you know, it wasn't long after we started going to this church that they asked me to help with the high school youth group, which was kind of a joke because I was in no position to be leading or, you know, but actually I was just there for crowd control for the first year or so. <laughs> and um, that was even ministering mm-hmm. to me. Just mm. the you know the twenty five minute talk that the youth pastor would give on Sunday nights after I'd heard the sermon in the morning. So, you know, the Lord was working on my heart at the same time and just drawing me back to Him. Aaron, that was quite eye opening to hear how Cheryl really uh, formed her expectations about marriage from watching, of all things, soap operas. Mm. Um, what are some common ways that people kind of get their unrealistic expectations about marriage besides soap operas. Yeah, there's so many things in our culture that lead us to have these expectations, often unrealistic expectations about how marriage should go. You know, whether it's books we read or, um, you know, even within the church. Do you think we would look at other couples in the church and think, oh, they're perfect and that's Mm -hmm. what it's going to be like? Mm -hmm. And there's pressure, Mm -hmm. you know, especially on women, you know, that they are going to show up in certain ways, quiet and gentle. And what does that mean? And it's important to really dig in to, to what is realistic in our relationship. What do these things look like in our relationship? Now, there's certain expectations that are appropriate, but, you know, we also pick these up from our family of origin hmm. and or if we just have a desire like i recently had a couple and the man said i when i got married i wanted my wife to be the happiest wife ever so guess what when she wasn't happy 
then his expectation wasn't on target. Yeah, his measure of the marriage was yes. we're failing. Yes, huh. and that's exactly what he was feeling. He was hmm. feeling failed. And so anytime she was upset, he was, you know, so hypervigilant around her being unhappy. And so really, we just realizing I have this expectation, and I don't know where he got it, but he at some point had decided that my wife is going to be the happiest wife ever. Mm. Okay, so that's, and he can't control that, can he? No, because, yeah, whether or not Aaron is is happy, I mean, so many things would go into that. And there's times that, that Aaron is unhappy, and what does that mean for me? Like, I hate this saying that if mommy ain't happy, then no one is happy. And what that does is that it says to women that, everybody's happiness, your husband, your kids, everybody's happiness is tied to how you're doing. And so if you're unhappy, well, you need to change because the rest of us will then be unhappy. Okay. Or but that, that's you, a saying that that is almost a truism. So, I mean, I think it resonates with people. You're saying no? I'm don't, saying don't that, do that that's the worst thing to try to communicate to, to our spouse huh. because I want Aaron to know if hmm. you're having a bad day, have a bad day. That's not going to define my day. And, and I can have a happy day if you're having a bad day. I can take the kids and go, hey, we're going to go to the park. We're going to go for an outing, and you have some alone time. Yeah. And that's okay. That it's, it's not Aaron's job to be in a certain mood or to be happy so that the rest of us are okay. That's horrible. What a pressure yeah. mm-hmm. that would place upon her if she thought, I can't ever have a bad day because the whole family falls apart. I mean, that it just comes across, it, it, it would make me as a husband feel so weak. Like I, I can't choose how I'm going to feel or what's going on for me unless Aaron shows up in a certain way. Yeah. Ugh, that, that's awful. What you've talked about before, and I think it's uh, relevant to the conversation here, is uh, emotional safety and honesty. And I, I, had, I have to admit, the other day, uh, Dina was sharing something and she looked at me and she said, well, there are days I'm depressed, I'm blue, but I don't tell you. Because I know you've said how hard that is for you to live with somebody who's depressed all the time. <laughs> and I just, I said, I'm <laughs> so sorry yeah. for that. I mean, yeah. how long has that gone yeah. on? Yeah. And I said, please, permission granted for you to be authentic with me. I don't want to pretend you, where you're at. And, and then I said, plus, just because you don't tell me doesn't mean I don't know that right. you're feeling blue. I can read that. So... This is on me to figure out as we move forward, okay, now that I have that data point, what do I do with that? Because I don't want to have an unrealistic expectation that she's going to be all happy every time I come home. Or the opposite, I'm thinking, well, she's always depressed. She's going to be depressed when I get home. I need to give her room to be her and then enter into her world with her on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, another one that we hear so commonly is self-care is selfish, and so if I'm, you know, expecting that, you know, my spouse, if he, if he is doing anything to take care of himself, well, that is selfish. You know, how is that going to play out? I see this often with young moms that, you know, when I try to take care of myself, A, I've been trained that everybody else comes first, but then B, you know, everyone fights me on it. My kids are upset if I go and go out with my friends or my husband doesn't like it. Well, then it's selfish and I won't do that. And bottom line, again, it's just looking at our well-being is our responsibility. And, and nobody else's. No. We have, they have influence. Yeah. 
And if they're doing something support, that's brutal, can assist you. Yeah. Yes, then I, you know, setting a boundary is appropriate, or communicating to them, hey, that that hurts me, that impacts me. Yeah, because you're saying that that you can't give what you don't have. Correct. And so if my definition of self-care is selfish, then I'm not going to do that job. I'm worn out, empty, exhausted, have nothing to give. Everybody now is losing, including me, versus what you're saying is that it, it, it's not only not selfish to be well cared for, it's a requirement. I want to have something to give to Aaron, mm-hmm. which means I've got to invest time in those self-care activities now, if you're not benefiting from any of that, so if I'm going, hey, I'm just I'm going golfing, you know, for the weekend to take good care of myself. Have fun. Well, mm-hmm. if 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 I don't come back with more to give and you don't benefit, <laughs> I hope you then, come back. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that that that's a fair question to go. Ah, is that really self good self care? Because no one's yeah. benefiting from yeah. that. So that's the goal. I want to give more to you. Therefore, I need to invest time in taking care of me to have more to give. Yeah. I think I've shared this uh, either in this uh, podcast or maybe the parenting podcast that we do uh, here at Focus on the Family. There was a time when we we had a kind of a parenting crisis, and I had to explain to one of my kids why they were going to change schools. And I said, look, when I get on an airplane, part of the safety speech spiel, if I can put it that way, is if the oxygen mask drops down and you're traveling with a small child, put the oxygen mask on you first because you can't help the child if you don't put it on right. you first. If you pass out, you're good to yeah. know. Yeah, so uh, just think of that analogy if you're in a spot where you've got these unrealistic expectations and you don't know what to do about it. Well, get some oxygen. Get some perspective. Right. Get mm-hmm. some capacity in your heart to give and to figure out what's going on and have a, a productive conversation. And if you need somebody to kind of help you get going in that conversation with your spouse, please know that we have a team of caring Christian counselors here at Focus on the Family. They are terrific. Uh, we have utilized them in our own family. Uh, we can set up a phone consultation for you. Uh, just call 800, the letter A in the word family. We'll set up a time for that counselor to give you a call back. Uh, we've got a, a referral network as well. We can probably connect you with somebody nearby for ongoing counseling if you need that. Again, it's 800, the letter A in the word family. And then we've got a link to uh, a way that you can contribute to the ministry here, either a monthly pledge or a one-time gift. Donate, make those counselors available to people who need them, make these podcasts available to more. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people are accessing these. Um, make a donation today. We'll send the book to you. It's called I Do Again. It's by Cheryl and Jeff Scruggs, and uh, the links are in the show notes. We'll hear more from the Scruggs next time. For now, on behalf of Greg and Aaron and the entire team, thanks for joining us. This has been the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast.